We all have a deep longing to be seen and accepted for who we are. If you have a child learning to manage OCD, you know this is a tall order. One of the big worries is, what would people think about me if they could see my life? Your child might wonder, would you be my friend, even if you knew about my dark thoughts and crazy rituals? Would you hire me, even if you knew about my OCD? As a parent, you might wonder, would you see me as a competent parent, even if you saw the chaos in my home? In the next podcast episodes, I'll offer tips to help you and your child more effectively manage embarrassment, blame, guilt, and shame. Welcome to the OCD Power Parenting Podcast. You're most likely here because you're a parent who wants to do everything in your power to help your child get to the other side of OCD. On the other side, your child, and not your child's OCD, is in the driver's seat of his or her life. I'm Dr. Vicki Rackner, and I wear three hats as I speak with you today. First, I'm the mom of a son diagnosed with OCD when he was in college. We're now seven years into our OCD story. Second, I'm a surgeon who spent many years treating breast cancer patients. And third, I'm a coach who spent two decades helping physicians and business owners get better results. I use all of these experiences to help you rise to the challenge of parenting a child with OCD. Let's dive into today's episode. When I was four or five, I met my Aunt Beverly. I remember her as an intelligent, kind person with an inviting smile. On the drive back from Nanny Leah's Lake home, I asked my parents where Aunt Beverly lived, thinking she might live far away like Aunt Marion did. My mom told me that Aunt Beverly lived in an adjacent town. I was confused. If it was only an hour drive, why didn't we see her more often? My mother turned around and told me in a whispered voice, Aunt Beverly has fits. What my mother meant is that Aunt Beverly had a seizure disorder. Back then, this was considered to be a shameful condition. The doctors persuaded my grandparents to institutionalize her. 30 years later, I treated a patient, Yvonne. I walked into the exam room to find a beautiful golden retriever sitting at my patient's feet. I asked, who's this? Yvonne said, oh, this is Shaker. She's my seizure alert dog. Yvonne and I had conversations about what it was like for her to live with a seizure disorder. She lived with her husband in Shaker. She had friends. She went shopping and visited the library. She doesn't drive, so she got around by taxi. She told me that occasionally she has seizures in public. She said that she used to be embarrassed, but she's gotten over that. Now her biggest challenge is reassuring the people who get embarrassed when they witness her seizures. All in all, Yvonne's life looks very much like mine or yours. Why did Aunt Beverly and Yvonne have such different lives? They were dealing with the exact same medical condition. Sure, medications improved over the years. However, the major difference between them was the story people told about this medical condition. The seizure disorder is like a snake bite, but people don't die of snake bites. They die from venom poisoning. The shame around seizure disorders was like the snake venom. 
Your child with OCD has a specific brain wiring glitch. That's their snake bite. The most profound harm comes not from the OCD itself, but from the stories people tell about OCD. The embarrassment, blame, guilt, and shame are the venom. They are the source of suffering and collateral damage of OCD. The amount of collateral damage in the suffering is directly tied to the way we manage embarrassment, blame, guilt, and shame. In the next several podcast episodes, I'd like to explore and demystify these four responses and show you how to manage them more effectively. I'll break this down into three sections. In the first, I'll talk about the biology behavior and specifically the biology of OCD. This will help you understand the origins of embarrassment, blame, guilt, and shame. Then we'll take on embarrassment. Last, we'll take on guilt, blame, and shame. So let's dig into the biology of the behavior. The COVID pandemic reignited my interest in this topic and underscores the relevance of understanding our brains today. We are a tribal species. We divide ourselves into groups of like-minded people. The COVID pandemic helps us understand how much we value the ability to physically gather with other tribe members. The number one job of both your brain and your tribe is to keep you alive. Safety is the highest priority. Our brains are designed to constantly be scanning the environment for potential danger. The oldest parts of our brains, our reptile brains, have a repertoire of behaviors when life and death is on the line. We get ready to fight, flee, freeze, or fawn without a single conscious thought on your part. If your brain were in charge of your life, it would want you to just stay on the couch instead of taking risks. It's safe there. Your brain would also say, hey, sure, go ahead and eat Cherry Garcia ice cream as you binge watch Netflix. That way you're both safe and comfortable. If you want something more in your life, whether it's getting fit or falling in love or starting a business, your biggest barrier to success may well be this brain wiring designed to keep you safe. Our kids with OCD have turbocharged danger detectors. Imagine how you'd feel if you woke up and found a masked stranger at the foot of your bed. This is what life is like for our kids with OCD on a day-to-day basis. A brain wiring glitch generates highly disturbing thoughts and images. These obsessions trigger the reptile brain and lead to high levels of anxiety. Over time, our kids learn that they can bring their anxiety back down to normal by doing rituals called compulsions. OCD is treatable. Our kids can learn how to manage their brains. It's simple, but not easy. But let's dig in a little further. Let's say your son has the recurrent thought that he will stab the beloved family dog. First, he announces that he doesn't want to feed or walk the dog. Then he starts leaving the room when the dog comes over to sit with him. Then he starts avoiding dogs in public. If he sees a dog on the street, he'll turn the other way. And then he just asks you to lock up the knives in the house. Your child knows that this is irrational behavior. He knows that he would never harm his four-legged best friend. He misses his friend. He avoids dogs because the OCD monster that lives in his head told him to do it, or else. 
OCD rituals are a form of self-sacrifice done in the spirit of keeping dogs or people or the world safe. If brains keep individuals safe, tribes keep groups safe. Prairie dogs gather in large extended families. When the prairie dog sounds the alarm, all of the family members rush to safety. We too respond when we see danger alarms, even if we don't see the danger. If you see somebody running down the road, you can tell the difference between somebody who's exercising and somebody who's fleeing from danger. If that person is fleeing, your body gets ready to flee without a single conscious thought from you. As Yvonne pointed out, the people who witness something embarrassing can also experience embarrassment. Panic and embarrassment can be catchy so that all the tribe members can enjoy the safety benefits. Tribes have rules of etiquette that all members know. You bring a present when you're invited to a birthday party. If you hurt somebody, you say, I'm sorry. You try not to burp in public. Embarrassment is the feeling you get when you know that you violated a law of etiquette. Your red face signals to other around you, yes, I made a mistake, I know it, and now I'm announcing that to you. Tribes also have rules members are expected to obey. We drive at the speed limit. We pay our taxes. We saw the tribal differences in mask wearing and vaccination. There was a time in which there was a rule that said, if you're around somebody who sneezes, you say, God bless you. Some say that in the ancient times, people believed that sneezing would allow evil spirits to enter your body. Saying God bless you kept out those evil spirits. Others give credit to Pope Gregory the Great, who believed that a sneeze was an early sign of plague. He commanded Christians to respond to a sneeze with a blessing. The power of prayer in illness is still being explored. Now, saying bless you is a law of etiquette. It would feel odd if you sneezed and nobody said bless you. In certain places in the world, including China, Japan, Vietnam, and Korea, the response to a sneeze is either silence or an expression of concern if the person looks sick. I noticed that in the early days of the COVID pandemic, I tried my best not to sneeze in public. I had a heightened awareness of who covered their coughs and sneezes and who did not. The tribe has ways of dealing with people who make mistakes or break the rules. Some mistakes are tolerated. Tribe members get a second chance. Other mistakes are punished. Guilt is nothing more than a self-imposed punishment for our mistakes. Expulsion is the most feared and dreaded tribal punishment. Blame and shame are ways to avoid these dire consequences of our mistakes. Shame is a strategy of hiding in hopes that you won't be found out. Many kids managing OCD live with shame. Secrecy and shame are toxic for our kids. Shame makes it harder rather than easier to get to the other side of OCD. You know, when your child is in the driver's seat of his or her life, I recommend that you put shame on your absolute no list. Blame says, I didn't do it. Don't punish me. When my brother and I were children, my mother wanted to know, okay, who broke this? My brother and I each pointed the finger at each other. 
My mother wanted to get to the bottom of it, so she said both of us would be punished until the truth came out. The punishment was that we couldn't watch Batman, and that felt pretty terrible. I recommend that you put blame with shame on your absolute no list. The overall health of the tribe needs to be preserved. Wisdom gets passed down through the generations. This berry is safe to eat. That berry is dangerous. In the pre-antibiotic era, tribes stayed healthy by preventing illness. The rule was to avoid sick people. Well, how do you know that somebody is sick? We already talked about people who sneeze. You could tell if somebody was sick by looking at their skin. Even the Bible mentions what you do about people who have a specific skin disorder medical historians think was leprosy. You could die if you had contact with a person with smallpox. Today, people with skin disorders like acne say they feel ostracized. There's a TV ad for a medication that treats psoriasis. The message of the ad, take this medication and you won't have to hide anymore. Why would a person with psoriasis need to hide? Now we know that you can't catch psoriasis. We're making progress. You might have seen the model with vitiligo, a condition in which patches of the skin lose pigmented cells. This leads to discolored patches in different areas of the skin. You could tell if somebody's sick by looking at the way they walk. I often wondered why the elderly resisted carrying a cane or using a walker when a hip fracture could potentially mean early death. Then my patient Ben told me his story. He lived through the polio epidemic. His brother caught polio and recovered, but had problems walking for the rest of his life. Once Ben's brother was seen on the street with a cane, things changed for Ben. Ben's best friend told him that his mother wouldn't let him go to Ben's house anymore, and Ben was no longer welcome in his house. I wonder whether, on a deep level, the elderly fear that they'll be ostracized if they're seen using a cane, just like kids were during the polio pandemic. Again, we're making progress. Now, people who use wheelchairs can access places that were closed to them in the 60s. You could tell if somebody's sick by looking at the way they act. Rabbit animals pose a significant health risk. They could turn on you and you could die a painful death. Well, bats can be the reservoir for rabies. Could this explain our visceral fear of bats? I wonder if a hundred years ago, people looked at somebody with a seizure disorder or Down syndrome or even a stutter and be worried about a rabies variant. The rituals seen in OCD certainly fall in the category of eccentric behavior. Imagine you see somebody in the parking lot at the mall. Instead of just unlocking the car door and getting in, a woman makes three counterclockwise revolutions around the car, does seven push-ups, then makes three clockwise rotation, followed by seven burpees. That's if she's a passenger. If she's a driver, she doubles those numbers. Further, you don't see this, but she won't park next to a car with a license plate that ends with an odd number. This looks like crazy behavior to you. The person doing this crazy behavior would agree with you. This person with OCD wants to give it up. So why don't they? 
Well, it's because they have a brain wiring glitch. Here's what it's like. During a holiday weekend, my driver's side window would not go up in my car. My car worked fine. There was just an isolated problem with the window. But if my window didn't go up, I couldn't lock the car. That meant that I would take a risk every time I parked anywhere except my locked garage. Fortunately, a friend shared a quick fix so I could drive. It involved pounding on the open driver's door with the window lever in the up position. She was right. The window went up. She said, now, just don't lower the window. You might forget, so you might want to put some tape over the window switch. Then on Tuesday, you can bring your car in and get the window switch fixed. This was a perfect metaphor for OCD. OCD is caused by a specific wiring glitch in the brain. Your kid's thoughts get stuck in dark places, just like my car window got stuck. This can have impacts on every part of life, just like my inability to lock my car impacted my ability to drive to most places. Treatment involves helping your child avoid the OCD neural pathway, just like I was instructed to avoid using the window electrical pathway. Once your child learns how to avoid this neural pathway, the rituals will no longer be needed. Do you see how this explanation takes the sting out of the behaviors that trigger embarrassment? The goal is to replace, oh, I'm so embarrassed about my car ritual, I just won't drive anymore, with, yep, right now I have a car ritual. I do it because my brain has a wiring glitch. I'm working on it, and one day I'll be able to just get in my car and drive. In the meanwhile, I know this is not about me. It's about the OCD wiring glitch, and that's going to get better. One of the challenges that keeps your child in hiding is that tribes, including the tribes of healthcare professionals, treat medical conditions of the brain differently than medical conditions of any other organ in the body. How many medical conditions are diagnosed without an imaging study or a lab test? Can you imagine an oncologist saying, yep, that sounds like lung cancer. Let's start this aggressive treatment. Yet, the standard of care for OCD is to be diagnosed by somebody just listening to the story. Would the families of kids going through chemotherapy be embarrassed about a hairless head, like families living with OCD are embarrassed by the car ritual? No. If a family member has cancer, people around them often shave their heads in solidarity. A big part of your ability to get through OCD is proactively managing the way you think, feel, and hold beliefs about OCD. OCD is the snake bite, poorly managed embarrassment, blame, guilt, and shame are the venom. If you want to take the venom out of OCD, I invite you and your family to watch a documentary called Life According to Sam. It's an inspirational documentary about a boy Sam Burns and his family. Sam has progeria. This is a condition in which the body has accelerated aging. At the beginning of the film, Sam looks directly at the camera and says, I didn't put myself in front of you to have you feel bad for me. 
I put myself in front of you to let you know you don't need to feel bad for me. I want you to know me. This is my life and progeria is just part of it. It's not a major part of it, but it's part of it. As you watch the movie, you'll see what things can be like without the venom flowing. Imagine how different your life could be if you embrace the lessons Sam and his family shared. Let me close this episode with some good news. The beliefs of tribes matter. Today, we live in a more inclusive society. People with differences are coming out of hiding. The Good Doctor is a TV show about a doctor on the autism spectrum. Edward Norton portrayed a character with Tourette's syndrome in Motherless Brooklyn. Your child may feel that he or she needs to hide until they do a better job of managing OCD. This is like saying that you have to be in better shape before you go to the gym. Hiding makes OCD worse, not better. Hiding makes things more dangerous, not safer for our kids. Secrecy leads to shame that leads to growing OCD. As more people come out, and I don't mean announcing that they're gay, but rather coming out as somebody learning to manage OCD, good things happen. Today, you can find a tribe where it's safe for you to be who you are and where it's safe for your kids to be who they are. The more people who come out of hiding with OCD, the easier it will be for everybody. It will accelerate the transition from the OCD equivalent of my Aunt Beverly's world to the OCD equivalent of my patient's world. In the next episode, we'll talk about how to manage embarrassment more effectively. Thanks for stopping by and listening. I hope that you found value in this episode. Please feel welcome to share this episode with your child. Ask what he or she thinks. Please also feel welcome to share it with the people who are there to support your child. Your child's champions might include family, friends, and teachers. I'm pleased to announce that we're about to launch our course for the people who want to join the ranks of OCD Power Parents. While all parents are welcome, we'll focus on parenting a child with OCD, car keys, and credit cards. If you'd like to get on the waiting list and be the first to know when we open the doors, you can sign up below. If you don't want to wait for help, I have a limited number of spots for one-on-one coaching. If you want some custom help, please feel welcome to grab 15 minutes on my calendar to see if we're a good fit. I'll leave the link below. I'm sorry in advance if you reach out and all of the coaching spots are filled. If you're interested in making a transition from just treading water to getting back to the joy in life, act quickly. Thanks again for listening. You can do this. Your child can do this. Go from strength to strength.